0: Glad to have you here with us today, um, lovely to be together on this uh, particular morning and uh, if you woke up this morning and had a particular treat then good on you as well. I just want to draw your attention to something here that's happening next week, some of you may or may not be aware of this, um, particularly in light of the women's retreat that was just recent but what we've planned here is a guys and a girls getaway. So Friday night for the the girls and Saturday night for the guys and it's kind of like like that vertical streaming in schools. So the idea of rubbing shoulders with uh, younger and older alike. And so it'll be grade six and up uh, for the girls and for the guys. And uh, I want to commend this to you. Um, I'm heading away next Saturday night as well. There is nothing quite like getting away for an evening with people. It's okay and it's really good to just connect for a short moment, but there's nothing quite like sharing a, some sleep time and waking up in the morning and seeing us at our best and our worst together, um, but sharing in that experience together. So one of the things that's really good about the guys' and girls' time is that time where you get to rub shoulders with others. There'll be some fun activities, but at the same time, there'll be some time of sharing of life, sharing of God's stories, some um, um, praying and And some uh, worship space together. I'm looking forward to the campfire for the guys of the evening time. And so it'll be a really good time. So out in the foyer as you head out today, if you don't know much more about that from what I've just said there, take one of these cards and ask some more details. Love it if there'll be some some vertical streaming of guys and girls next weekend as well. Are there any first-time dads here this morning? First-time dads this last 12 months? First-time. First-time I see. Do I see a hand over here? Fantastic. Quickly, Pete, grab a microphone right there. I'm coming over this gentleman. I know this is the worst thing. I only want to ask you one question, sir. Firstly, what is your name? Mark. Mark. Can everyone please put their hands together for Mark this morning? First time, Dad. That's very good. Mark, what's the name of your child? Rosa Annette. Rose. Rosa Annette. Oh, beautiful name. Tell me, has she just been a delight to you? And have you had all the sleep you've ever wanted in the world? Always. She's perfect. Always. If you've learnt one lesson from being a dad this last, how long? This last six months? Three months? Nine months. Nine months. What's the one lesson you can just glean for us all? What's the one lesson? Listen to your wife. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. You've just empowered a whole bunch of ladies here. They're going on a Girls Weekend next weekend, and that is super. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Well done. I want to talk to you about a theme this morning that is really important. I want to ask a question to kick things off. And the question goes something like this. Have you ever felt that the enormity of the task before you outweighs the resources available to you? Let me ask you that again. Have you ever felt... That the enormity of the task before you outweighs the resources available to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a student and you have a whole wealth of information you need to get into your brain in the next year. Sorry to remind you of that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a captain, you're a leader of a team and it's challenging. Maybe you're between work situations and you're wondering where the next job's gonna come from or you're in a job and you're having a, 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 your capacity is expanding and you're feeling the challenge of that. Or maybe you're a parent here this morning And you find yourself pushed to the limits and you have intuitively asked or felt this thing. Have you ever felt the enormity of the task before you outweighs the resources available to you? Well, what do you do in that situation? Do you freeze? Do you fake it? Do you fess up? Do you fall to your knees? What do you do? Over the next two weeks, we're going to be exploring the life of a a man who was a king. We're going to go back in time and we're going to explore the... The life of this man who was known as perhaps the wisest man who's ever lived. And we're going to meet him at the point of life of transition for him where he's coming into his kingdom. And he is going to become the most wisest, richest, most successful person in the nation of Israel. The borders are going to have been extended more than ever before. And we're going to meet him at the zenith of his life and Israel's life. And the question I want to ask you this morning as we explore the life of the man by the name of Solomon, is how will you listen to the lessons and the stories of his life? How will you apply the teaching that he's going to offer us? Because we are going to see him at his best, and we're going to see him at his worst. If you're here this morning and you would like to expand your capacity, if you would like to develop your character, if you would like to have less complications in your life then I believe that if you listen to the message that Solomon will give us you will lay a foundation for an expansion of your capacity a building of your character and you will avoid unwanted complications in your life the challenge is this will you listen and will you learn And will you you apply his teaching? This message is for you if you're a young person. This message for you as a student. And this message is for you, whether you're an adult, young in the tooth, or old in the tooth. Why don't you join with me for a moment as I pause and simply pray that God would speak to us. Father, in this place this morning, we're just aware of all the variation of complexities of life and different situations. And I ask, Father, I ask God that you might reach down and open up our hearts and our minds, that we might learn the lessons from Solomon when we see him at his best and when we see him at his worst. Would you make us wise for life? I pray this in Jesus' name. I want you to jump back to 10th century BC, and there is a transition taking place in the life of of Solomon. He is the, the son of David, who has been his father, and he's provided leadership for the nation of Israel. Before David, there was the first monarch by the name of Saul, and he had refused to follow in the ways of God, so if you like, he'd been a failure. And so, David, through a wrestle over many years, had become king. And it said of David that he followed God with all of his heart. That doesn't mean that he wasn't a deeply flawed character. What it meant, though, is that even the commands that God had that he applied to others, even in his failures, he was willing to allow those same laws and commands to even condemn him. And now we meet. Solomon at the time of transition between his father David and his own ruling, his own kingship. And this is where the story picks up in 1 Kings. If you want to follow with us this morning, you can do so. 1 Kings chapter 3. And the story goes like this. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. You see, Solomon had seen something in his father ...about his devotion to God and the way in which God had worked in his life that was very appealing to him. And so the love that he saw that his father had for God had been caught by the son, Solomon. And so too he was devoted before God as well. He wanted his wise instruction. And so it says that he walked in the steps of, in the instruction of his father David... With one exception. The exception was that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Now we're not sure about this. If this is a good thing or a bad thing. But there was three tasks that Solomon needed to accomplish in his good rulership. The first one was this. He needed to build a house. Because every king has a palace. He needed to build a temple. So that the God of the Israelites might dwell in the midst. In the midst. In the middle Of the people and might give them their animating life and his protection and his governance. And the third thing that every king needed to do and that Solomon needed to do was to govern the people. And it's said that in order to connect with God, to reach out to him, the Israelites were in the practice of going up to the high places. You know, on those high mountains where you get a landscape view of what's going on before you. But yet it was a place where humans would reach up and reach out to connect with God. And so it said of Solomon that he would go to a place called Gibeon, a very popular place just to the northwest of Jerusalem. He would venture to that place and he wouldn't just offer one or two sacrifices. It said that Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. Such was his devotion. Such was his desire to say, God... I want to ask of you and I want to worship you so he would travel to the high places to do that task. The story goes on. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said to him and made an offering to him that you and I would love every day of the week. This is what God said to Solomon in his dream. Solomon ask for whatever you want me to give you. Whatever it is you want me to give you, I will give you. Now, could you imagine? God comes to you with a blank check, a golden handshake. And he says, whatever it is that you want, I will give you. I wonder what that might be for you. If you were to ask God something this morning, what would it be? Would it be in relation to a relationship? A heartache? Would it be in relation to the task of the enormity of a task before you in a job? Or would it be something that springs to your mind instantaneously that said, I would like God to have it all. This was all on offer for Solomon. See, This is the moment when we're supposed to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what's the nature of the metal of this man who's going to lead God's people? This is the moment when in a dream God comes and says, you can have whatever you like, what would you want? We get to see the character of the king and how he will govern. This here, if we could just pause for a moment, is accompanied by two backstories. The first backstory is of promise. You see, God had made a promise to Solomon's dad, David, that he would sit on a throne and rule. This is how it goes. In 2 Samuel it says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, he says to David, Solomon's father, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, in this moment when there's a transition in the life from father to son, we pause when God offers up the the invitation of getting anything because we wonder what kind of king this king will be. And the backstory is, is that he has been promised. David, his father has been promised that God would raise up a line and a succession. And so this is being fulfilled. But this fulfillment also comes with a pain and a loss. The second backstory, you see, because Solomon was the third in the line of Kings before David, before Saul, there was a land of judges and prophets. That is, there was no king in Israel because God was king. And at the time in which Samuel, the last judge or prophet, was coming to the end of his life, the elders of the Israelites came to Samuel and they said this to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. You see, they were corrupt and taking bribes on the side. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. You see, this wounded Samuel immensely because it said something about his boys. But it also said something about Israel's heart. Samuel interrupted and he said, You don't understand, if you get a king just like all the other nations, that king will consolidate his power. He will tax you for his, his pleasure. He will use your men and your women as his labor. He will go to war and to battle with your sons. You see, if you get a king like all the other nations, you might go just like all the other nations. But the people resisted. And they said to him, we want a king. So Samuel goes to God and he pours out his heart. And he says to to God what's been happening and what the elders have been asking for. And this is how the Lord God replies to Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to listen to all that the people are saying to you. You see, it's not you that they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. So we meet this time in the life of Solomon that has a backstory twofold. One, a promise has been made. God makes an allowance, a kingship and a rulership is established. But what kind of king will Solomon be? And so here's his reply. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. You see, Solomon's dad, David, had his incredible flaws. He had a heart of devotion to return to God and to seek his ways and to honor him. And so Solomon continues... Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who does not know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they cannot be counted. So this is what I ask for. When you ask for me, what is it that you would like anything that you could grant me? This is what I ask for. God Creator, maker of all things, would you give me an understanding heart? The word there is a listening heart. God, would you give me a listening heart? Would you give me a listening heart to you? And would you give me a listening heart to your people? So that I might know what they are sensing and feeling, the way that they should be led and governed. And would you give me a listening heart to you so that you might pour your character, that you might pour your ways that you might expand my capacity, that you may lay a foundation in my life so that I would know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Have you ever found that the demands that lie before you far outweigh the capacity that you see within you? Solomon did. And in his dream, he spoke to God and he said, I am not able to do this alone. I need you for everything. You see, Solomon was acutely aware of his smallness, and that made him even more abundantly aware of God's greatness. The challenge of life is that when we no longer see our smallness, but we feel we have gained greatness, what will we do? Solomon, at the very beginning of his life and his rulership and his kingship, he calls out to God in his smallness, not his insignificance, but his smallness, to a powerful God. Because he sees his greatness. And so this is the reply. God says, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies to secure your kingdom. I will give you what you have asked for. But Solomon, wait, there's more because of the wisdom and the life that people will see coming through you because of your closeness to me, other nations will see the way in which you govern your people and the nations will come to you. They will experience me flowing through you such that other nations will come to you and they will bring you their wealth and they will bring you and ask for your wisdom Which will be wisdom that's coming from me because your character will be shaped by me and you will become famous. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or will ever have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life because I can see Solomon that you see your smallness and you understand my greatness. Therefore, you are willing to receive all that I have for you. And this is how God concludes. He says, If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. You see, this frame of the if-then isn't characteristic such that God would say, if you don't obey me, I will turn my back on you. But it's kind of like one of those objects of reality, a truthism, if you like, a realism that looks far more like this. God is more than willing to to pour out his wisdom and his character into our hearts and minds, if we would but just remember our smallness in relation to his greatness. Why? Because then we will ask for it and not assume that we already have it. You see, it's an outworking of God's character at work in a man. It's not as though God uploaded all of his wisdom instantaneously into Solomon and he didn't have to refer to him for the rest of his life. No. You see, the challenge and the task of the king was to stay in a relationship that looked something like this. My smallness, your greatness would you pour it into me? If you like, it's the difference between these two young men's stories. When I was in Scotland, one of my bucket list things was to go fishing on Loch Leven, the home of the ancient brown trout, where all of the trout in New Zealand and Australia have come from. It was just half an hour away. So I called up the fishing angling club in Loch Leven, and and I said, I would like to go fishing for a day. The man replied to me, he said, well, there's one guy you need. You need Alan. He's been fishing this loch for 40 years. He knows where the fish are. He's the best buzzer fisherman in the loch, probably in Scotland. I said, I would like to meet that man. He said, you can for a fee, and I did. I paid my fee, I turned up, and I... Went to the docks that day, and Alan met me. Lovely old gentleman, been fishing that lake for 40 years. He was the guru of buzzer fishing, catching brown trout in Loch Leven. I went out on his boat. And as we're sitting out there on the lock and we're fishing away and he's catching brown trout and I'm just watching him and he's teaching me how to do it, I wouldn't have picked up the fishing style over there in a million years. You see, you have four buzzers like flies sitting on the end of your line. You cast it out long and you let it sink deep and then you retrieve it as slow as if you're counting to a hundred holding your breath for five seconds every time. And when... The, the, the buzzers start coming up vertically, the fish strike. Well, in the afternoon, I'd started to catch some fish, and he turned to me and he said, you, you're learning pretty good. I said, thank you, I'm just learning from the master. He said, well, that's not what always happens. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I can tell you a story about a young guy who came out here one day, and I knew him, and he wanted to fish his own style. I said, really? I said, what, he pays you money, to show him how to fish and he wants to fish his own style he said absolutely he said he would cast his line out and retrieve it so fast the fish didn't even have a chance i said what you're the guru of fishing on Loch Leven. and you've been fishing it for 40 years and he wouldn't listen to what you had to say he said no he said he got so frustrated with me catching fish at one stage he actually stopped and did exactly what i told him i said what happened he said he caught a fish I said, you're kidding. He said, no. He said, then what happened? He said, he went back to his old ways of fishing. I said, you are kidding me, Alan. You mean someone comes out here, you've got this great wealth of knowledge, and someone just reckons they've got it. And so have you heard that phrase, too easy? Have you heard that? Too easy? Every young person uses it now. Too easy. Too easy. I've got this. I don't need it. And he caught no fish for the rest of the day, he tells me. So different to the other young man I saw this week when I was training in Aquanation. You see, I was pedaling on the bike and just in front of me there was a a dad and he was in his middle age and he was sort of a bit taller than me, so about six foot five and he was sort of pumped and he was really strong, you're hurting me, and uh, (laughs) he was... um, he was doing his exercises, but I noticed that he had a young teenage, His must have been his son, training as well. You see, his son would come up to him, and he would stand there in front of him like this. He would take out his headphones, and his dad would show him a new exercise. Now, his dad was pretty strong and muscular, and his son was sort of thin and skinny. His dad could have picked him up and snapped him in too, but he didn't. His dad would show him the exercise, his son would look at it, kind of nod, put his earplugs back in, and go back and do exactly what his dad was doing. Then he'd come back at the end of having done that set, and he'd look at his dad, he'd talk to him, his dad would say something to him, he'd pull his earphones out, he'd show him the next exercise, he'd put them back in, and he'd go and do his exercise, and then he'd come back again. This went on for about 30 minutes. I thought, what a different attitude, what a different posture. You see, he knew his smallness in relation to his dad's greatness. And so he adopted the posture of looking up and saying, Here I am. Pour into me. Pour into me. If you're here this morning and you find yourself facing an obstacle that seems greater and bigger than you feel you have the inner resource, what do you do? Do you fake it? Do you freeze? Or do you fess up and fall to your knees and you say every day, every moment, God, would you pour into me your character? Would you pour into me your goodness? Would you pour into me your love? Would you pour into me who you are so that you can help me through to do what seems unimaginable before me? That's the wisdom of Solomon. That's the story of of this young king. These are going to come up in a moment. We're going to sing a song. Or we're going to hear a song. But there's a passage in the Bible. In the book of James. That goes like this. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives his grace. To the humble. That is. God's grace cannot flow in someone's life. If they're like this young man who says Too easy I got it Too easy I got it As opposed to the other Takes his headphones out Looks up and stares in the eyes of his maker Every day Every moment Because there are Times in our lives where we are brought to our knees, whether we like it or not, but the only thing that you have available to you beyond your own resources is a great God. not saying he'll fix all of your problems. No. But he will be with you. Jesus said, if you follow me and embrace me in your life, I will forgive you. I will wash you clean. I died and rose for you. And I will pour my spirit into you. And you will have the mind of God. You'll have the mind of Christ. Doesn't mean that you can just wander away then and say, I got it. But in our greatness, we'll remember our smallness. I wonder if you're here this morning. And the most profound thing that you could do on Father's Day this day, this Sunday, is as you hear the words of this song, you might adopt a posture of opening up your hands and your heart and your mind. You say, "God, would you give me your character in the midst of my turmoil? Would you increase my capacity when the mountain seems so great?" God, would you help me to walk in your ways even though I, there's times in which I want to do my own thing? Would you lay a foundation for my life it stretches beyond my own capacity? And I believe that the God, the maker of heaven and earth, will nudge you, remind you, Speak to you. So as you hear the words of this song, don't be proud. Don't be proud. Don't be proud. Lift up your hand. Call from your heart. Pray.